Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women who are unafraid to age out loud. I don't know about you, but I have big goals and plans for 2022. There is so much I want to accomplish personally and professionally, and I have learned that I can only move the needle on days when I've had a great night's sleep. If I clock solid, restful sleep, I am more productive, more optimistic, happier, nicer. And on days when I don't, watch out. Which is why I'm delighted to welcome sleep expert Dr. Shelby Harris to the show today. Dr. Harris has helped countless people of all ages improve their sleep, anxiety, and mood. A specialist in behavioral sleep medicine, she ran the Behavioral Sleep Medicine Program at Montefiore Medical Center in New York City. She is also a specialist in cognitive behavior therapy to treat insomnia, anxiety, and depression, and is the author of The Woman's Guide to Overcoming Insomnia, Get a Good Night's Sleep Without Relying on Medication. If you want 2022 to be the year where you finally wake up feeling rested and ready to meet the day fully charged, stick around. We've got you covered. Welcome, Shelby. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Uh, I'm super happy because I know we've tried to make this work for many months, but it's been tricky because your schedule is busy, which makes sense, right? A lot of people need help sleeping. We all want to be, (laughs) right? We all want to be well rested, but it doesn't always happen, especially for midlife women. I would love to start with some stage setting. Why does sleep get disrupted and why does it sometimes feel like it gets worse in midlife? Um, I think in midlife, there's a few different reasons why we tend to have sleep problems more. So one is there's definitely the hormonal aspect. So as we start to enter perimenopause, our hormones start to shift a lot. So we have bigger drops in estrogen, progesterone, all those things start to change. And as that starts to change, it really can disrupt sleep. And it changes differently for different women. And that can always be a conversation to have with your gynecologist. But the hormone changes are a big one. And then we start to also accompany it with the hormone changes. We start to see things like hot flashes, night sweats that happen a lot more. Um, a lot more women will start to report to me at the, like in their third, late, late 30s, usually around the 40s, that they wake up just drenched or that their brain is racing. So that can happen a lot more too. Um, and then there's other things that happen too. So like there's just more demands on women, I think, even as we tend to get into midlife. So a lot of people I work with, they have kids at home. People are having kids later in life too now. So some people still have kids who are 10, 11, 12 at home. And at the same point, have parents and aging parents and work that they're dealing with. So there's a lot of things that kind of demands on women that are more so than ever before. So that plus the hormonal stuff, it's just a firestorm. Right. So women absolutely face unique biological you know, alterations of sleep throughout their life. You just touched on it, changing hormones. So, you know, um, how do we get hormones back in whack? When should women seek professional help? I think, you know, it depends. It's always a conversation of, of for women, just how bad it is for you. So I have some patients that have an occasional bad night here and there, or they have chronic insomnia issues, but they're not having constant night sweats and, and hot flashes. And, and they would rather try something like what I do is cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia. So they'd rather try that first. It uses no medication and it's a really good option, um, starting point for a lot of women. But if that's just not enough, if 
If you find that you just are, your sleep is a wreck, even despite trying behavioral solutions, then it definitely is a time to have a conversation with your gynecologist because there's lots of, whether it's hormone replacement or sometimes there's antidepressants, there's a lot of things that can help um, and women shouldn't be suffering. So there's definitely a tiered approach, but don't just expect that you have to have poor sleep from here on in. Okay, I love that. First of all, women should not be suffering. I'm 100% on board with that. For me to say to add to that is that if you have a doctor that you're seeing who completely minimizes it and says, oh, that's part of getting older or just tough it out, you need a better doctor. Yes. So a lot of times it has been dismissed for years and there is no need to dismiss it anymore. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So you specialize in behavioral solutions and cognitive behavior therapy uh, to address sleep problems. Tell us more about that and how that works. So CBT for insomnia, a lot of people talk about CBT in general for like anxiety and depression. It's a little bit different in that what it's, it's an evidence-based approach to insomnia in general, regardless of what, in many cases, what causes the insomnia. So we tend to recommend it as a first-line treatment for insomnia, regardless of the cause in most cases, because it does not use medication. And it, like I said, it's evidence-based. It works in sometimes two to eight sessions with a lot of women. So what is it in general? So the B part of the CBT is really working on figuring out the ideal bedtime and wake time based on what your sleep is looking like in the moment when we see you. So it's a little bit of tracking using diaries, your sleep, Um, having people change up their bedtime, sometimes spending a little bit less time in bed to get better quality initially. Um, It's what you're doing in bed or out of bed. So sometimes we have people um, change up the, and a lot of people will just lay in bed kind of tossing, turning, trying to force sleep to happen. So we change up that to make the bed only be about sleep and sex. And then other things like light exposure, um, wind down routines, all that. It's like multi-component. And then the C part of the cognitive behavior therapy is really, sometimes I don't even need to do it with some people, but for other people that it's, it's really about focusing on the worries about sleep. Because what I tend to think happens with a lot of people is that the more you worry about your sleep or what could happen from not sleeping, the more you try to force it. And that's actually the, the kiss of death when it comes to sleep. So it's teaching people to soften their thoughts, soften their predictions of what will happen, to not put pressure on themselves, and using certain techniques to challenge thoughts that you're having. And then for other people, we actually use meditation and mindfulness during the day a lot to help with um, improving sleep. And it's combining the behavior plus the uh, the behavioral techniques plus the cognitive techniques that really is the sweet spot and really can help people pretty quickly in improving their sleep without needing medication. So that, that racing mind that you referred to, when you get in bed and start to think of that pressure, and you're like, I can't fall asleep, and tomorrow's going to be a wreck. I love this notion of softening your thoughts to, to yeah. perhaps deal with that panic. What does that look like, and, and how might we incorporate that into our bedtime routines? So for some people, and it's totally counterintuitive. So for some people, they're getting in bed when they think they should go to bed, or oftentimes it's because they have a significant other who goes to bed at that time. You just might not actually be sleepy enough at that time. So I always tell people, go to bed when you're actually sleepy, not before then. So if I have someone stay up a little bit later until they're genuinely sleepy, sometimes that actually just stops the raising thoughts. It's kind of weird because the sleepiness takes over. So you might be getting in bed too early. The other thing to think about is what are you doing the half hour to hour before bed? So if you really have a brain just racing and no matter what time you go to bed, it doesn't work uh, or it doesn't quiet down. So I'll have people do some journaling for 10, 20 minutes. I also love people to write worry lists basically. So what are all the things that are on your brain? What can you can 
control, what can't you control, cross off the things that are out of your control to let go of it. And then um, sometimes it's just a to-do list, simple to-do list. Getting it out of your brain is super beneficial because what you go to bed with on your brain is going to be there when you get up in the morning. And then the other thing that I do all the time now, more so than ever, is I have people practice meditation. But a lot of people are using meditation as this kind of almost like a sleeping pill. Like they're using a lot of the meditations, they put it on in bed and they fall asleep to it. And that's okay as like a kind of intermediate kind of step. But the goal is really to be able to get in bed and fall asleep without needing anything. So I actually have people practice meditation during the day. So they get better at noticing when their brain's racing and letting it go. And if you get better and stronger at doing the day, then it's actually easier to let it go at night. That makes so much sense. I love the idea of doing meditation during the day rather than having the the pressure to make meditation work for you in the evening. Because I think a lot of us sometimes think we read in women's magazines, we hear from our friends, we sort of absorb from pop culture that if you have this magical bedtime routine, yeah. right, you're going to be able to fall asleep well, and it puts a lot of pressure on it. Yes. But I have read on your own website and in some of your social media posts that you've made that really the morning routine is what's truly key to sleep. We are going to be taking a quick commercial break, but when we come back, I want to hear about why your morning routine actually makes bed happen more easily. We'll be back after this break. Midlife is a crazy balancing act. Careers, relationships, home life, bank accounts, empty nests, aging parents, not to mention fun, fitness, and friends. We're living longer, stronger, healthier, and happier. We're living life fully charged. We're living brightly. Brightly is a modern membership company and digital platform built to fuel life 50 plus. Powered by the belief that age and experience are rocket fuel and that 50 is a fantastic yet underrated club, Brightly offers tools, benefits, content, and inspiration for living life fully charged. Brightly offers exclusive benefits from top brands like Warby Parker, HelloFresh, and Minted. Brightly offers tools and classes to help you get things done built just for this life stage. Brightly offers voices of experts, influencers, and a community all living life 50 plus. Come be Brightly. Sign up for the free Brightly newsletter at thisisbrightly.com and follow the fun on social at thisisbrightly. Okay, Shelby, we're back. We talked about the myth of the magical bedtime routine making sleep easier, but I want to now talk about why the morning routine is what sets you up for a, a good night's sleep. Yeah, I think there's definitely, I mean, it's not to ignore the nighttime at all. I think it's definitely important that you treat your brain like it's on a dimmer switch and to slowly relax into sleep. But if you're ignoring the morning, you're just making it harder for you at night. So the morning is important because if you get up at about the same time every day, and it's not pretty to do on the weekend, I get that. But if you really use an alarm and get up around the same time every day and get light exposure first thing in the morning for 10, 15 minutes, like try to turn on the lights around you, use a dawn simulating light if it's dark out still or just open up the shades and have a cup of coffee if you can do that it helps to set your biological clock to know when morning happens and when nighttime happens and if you get up at around the same time every single day seven days a week you're going to essentially set your body clock in the morning that it then will set the nighttime easier so essentially if you get up at the same time in the morning you're going to get hungry for sleep around the same time at night. So you want to build up an appetite for sleep and getting up at the same time really helps to build the appetite so that you get hungry for sleep at the same time every night. That makes sense. And then you can then you can turn on that dimmer switch that you talked about. So what is it what is a dimmer switch that you know to be effective for your patients? What does a wind down look like? 
Wind down. It's so, it's so personal. It's funny. Like people will say, do these five things for a better sleep. No, it's, if you don't like to read, I'm not going to force you to read. Find something for you that's quiet, calm, and relaxing that you can ideally do most of out of bed and that doesn't use a screen because the screen, yes, it can keep you up. But I think the bigger thing with screens is that we tend to get sucked into social media. We check work emails. We then like binge watch shows online. So it's find something that doesn't use a screen for you that is quiet. So it could be, um, for me, it's often doing some gentle stretches. I start the evening usually watching a little bit of TV or on my phone. And then I switch to turning it off, do some stretches, deep breathing. Sometimes I read, sometimes I don't. And then I get in bed. Other people like to do some knitting, adult coloring, some evening yoga, listening to podcasts or meditations. But it's do what works for you in dim light. And really, the ideal is to do about 30 to ideally 60 minutes before bed to really start dimming things down. But if you can't even find 30 minutes, start with five minutes, 10 minutes. And then once you have that little buffer, then move it to 15 minutes. You got it. You can't just crash into bed and expect sleep to happen. And I love that you uh, mentioned that makes so much sense to me. I, you know, I, I get into bed and I do want um, I want to be my husband who starts snoring immediately. Yeah. And I'm always like super jealous. Like, wh- why isn't he up worrying about the things that I'm worrying about? You, you know, you did allude to partners earlier in our conversation. You said that sometimes you're getting into bed too early simply because your sleeping partner is. You know, yeah. we, you know, many of us are sharing beds with people. You know, do you have any, um, you know, nuggets of advice for people on how to how to co-sleep with somebody in a way that makes everybody well rested? I think you there's a bunch of different issues that can come up for that. So for some people. It's just they're on different body clock schedules. Some people have a significant other that can sleep later and go to bed later. Other people, it's earlier. So if you can find time and have a frank conversation of, well, my body clock's a little different than yours. We need to not tie getting in bed at the same time because it ends up making me more resentful that you're snoring or whatever it is at the same time. That has to be a frank conversation. Go to the bed earlier. Be intimate for a little bit if you want. And then when it's time to go to bed, go to bed later right? For other people, the bigger thing that I see a lot of times is more of like the snoring and the noise. And some people say, well, my significant other is so loud that I don't get good quality sleep. I then it's a conversation about maybe getting that person evaluated. And if that person doesn't want to get evaluated for a sleep disorder like apnea, then that's a bigger conversation that needs to be had. And if that person has gotten treated for sleep problems, and it still is an issue, but they're doing everything they can because they want they value your sleep too, then sometimes there's actually value in sleeping separately, spending the beginning of the night together, being intimates, whatever you need. And then when it's actually time to go to sleep, sleep separately, because it kind of melts away a lot of the resentment, and then you sleep better and you're better together during the day. That's I, I love this piece of advice, and you're just jogging this like thought in my head. I, re- I remember seeing, I can't even remember where, somebody's home where they had twin beds, and I, I remember thinking, that's so strange. <laughs> and I have definitely had points in my marriage where I'm like, I would love my own bed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm, I'm just, for the, for the listeners who just know my voice but may, may not know me, I am not tall. I am 5'4". My husband's not mm-hmm. tall either. But I am some one of these people that like thrashes around in the bed, and we finally got this like gigantic comically oversized bed even for us like two like you know tiny people to share because it's tricky it's tricky to share beds so that's a great piece of advice even if some people are thinking that sounds very 1950s and not romantic um we're old enough to know that we can you know we we don't have to um you know we can do these things and we can choose to do things that are good for us um my piece of advice is to buy yourself a california king and 
and make that work. Um, but-, but it is about too. It's about there's a big stigma in our our society. But if you sleep separately, it's a big problem or anything. But it it doesn't. If you both come to this mutual agreement because you both sleep better separately, then more power to you. I, I don't love the the shaming about sleeping separately if it really does bring you better sleep and you've tried other things to try and you know improve it. Yes, that makes so much sense. So a quick question for you. Uh, you know, we, we all know that humans have been sleeping forever, no matter what bed they're in, you know, separate, big caves, wh- whatever. This is something that is just part of being human. But now we have all these different gadgets, um, you know, to, to help us with something that really feels like should just be sort of coming more naturally. We've got white noise machines. We have meditation apps, as you referred to earlier. We have multiple different kinds of sleep trackers, Apple Watches, et cetera. Where do you stand on these tools? I think there are different types of tools. So I'm all for white noise, uh, earplugs, noise-canceling headphones, if there are specific things that are or like, you know, light blocking shades, sun, uh, dawn simulators, if they're, they're helping to enhance your sleep environment. The trackers are a different issue in that I think they're great. They're not as accurate as people always think they are. So they some can be more accurate than others, but they're, I think they're great for people who don't make sleep a priority in their lives and they could sleep better, but they don't have, they don't make the time for sleep. So it would be great to say to you, oh, you don't get in bed until midnight and you get up at 6 a.m., but the person could probably, should probably be going to bed earlier and can if they do. So I think it's great to bring light to that sort of stuff. But if you're someone who has insomnia, meaning you can't sleep no matter how hard you try to sleep more, the watches have actually been shown in research to create more stress for people and actually worsen their insomnia. So you have to think about what you want it to do for you. And if it's just to bring light, bring, put some, put, shine some light on what you, whether you're, you know, burning the candle at both ends, do it. But if it's making you more anxious, don't bother anymore. Get rid of them. No one needs more stress in their life. So oh, it's not worth it. Not worth it at all. So you, you touched on uh, earlier in our conversation, you know, women who are have like who can't sleep, who are having trouble, who are having maybe chronic insomnia. But you just said something about sometimes people are choosing not to sleep, right? They're not getting into bed. They they won't prioritize sleep. What do you say to a patient who who may not understand that they need to make sleep a priority? What would you say to a listener on um, the show right now who's thinking, you know, I only need like six hours. I only, you know, I, I I've got too much to to get done to to prioritize sleep. Mm-hmm. Well, I would always I usually ask people to if you really don't have insomnia, and you should be getting more sleep and you can if you try. I always encourage people just take two weeks, commit to it for two weeks. And then let's talk in two weeks. So if you can commit to getting more sleep in two weeks, you might find that you're actually more efficient at doing the things you need to do during the way, day and not spinning your wheels, that you can actually start to make more time for sleep at night. So I, I, I usually encourage people two weeks and then and then reevaluate. And Dr. Harris, how is your sleep? My sleep is okay. Most nights I have an almost 12-year-old and a six-year-old. So once in a while, they come. my six-year-old came in or a little early this morning because she had a nightmare. And these things happen. And I don't, you know, I'm in perimenopause and I don't sleep perfectly every night. But I aim for consistency, not perfection. So I'm happy with how I am content with my sleep five nights a week. So I'm doing fine. And yeah. I'm pretty good about keeping the same bedtime and wake time seven days a week. Yeah, perfection is totally overrated. I, I also read on your website that you are a 17-time marathon. Honor. Is this correct? 
It's crazy to hear. Yeah, I am. Yeah, hoping to get to 20 in the next mm, 10 months or so. That is astonishing. Congratulations. That's totally (laughs) amazing. But I wanted to ask you about how running impacts your sleep. Does it help? What role does regular exercise play? I know that I try to exercise regularly. I'm, I know that many of my listeners do as well. I would love to hear, especially from you, somebody who makes running an enormous part of her life, what role exercise does or does not play in healthy, you know, wonderful, restful sleep? So for anybody, you don't need to be a marathon runner, right? It's good. You can be like 20 minutes of just getting your heart rate up a little bit. That's what we see that is very beneficial for sleep at night. It's not the cure necessarily for someone who has chronic, chronic insomnia. But I still think that if you want to sleep at night, it's like a battery that's recharging. If you're not using it during the day, it doesn't need to recharge as much at night. So getting a little bit of movement in, getting 20 minutes of getting your heart rate up here and there is really helpful. Now, the timing is also important. So try not to do the kind of getting your heart rate up within three hours of bed, because that can impact your ability to fall asleep, make it not make it a little bit more difficult. The sweet spot for a lot of people is between four to six hours before bed. So if you can get a little exercise in four to six hours, by all before bed, by all means, give that a try. But for a lot of people like myself included, there's no way with two little kids, there's no way I'm going to be like, goodbye, I'm going to go for my run at 5pm now or even 4pm, it just doesn't happen. So I'm a morning exerciser, it doesn't help, it doesn't make my sleep drastically better at night. But I do um, find that I'm using my battery, it's good for me and my stress reduction, which will help us sleep as well. And where it really helped me is it keeps me honest on the weekends, because my kids sometimes will sleep a little later than I do. Um, And on the weekends, I run with a run club. So it keeps me accountable to get up about the same time every single day, seven days a week. And that helps me immensely with the night as well. That's such a smart hack, you know, to really uh, to commit to doing something that gets you up and out, you know, out of bed early, so that you can keep that that seven day a week schedule. You know, I myself do morning yoga classes. I'll often commit to playing uh, platform tennis in the morning because I'd much rather be sleeping. But I know if I promise three other people that I'm I'm joining them on a paddle court, you know, I get myself up and going. So that's wonderful advice for our listeners if they're looking to prioritize sleep this year, that they really commit themselves to something that gets them up and, and out the door so they can g- get that exercise in and, and help with their with their circadian rhythm. Exactly. And also keep in mind that if you're doing it at times of the year when the sun is out, you're getting light exposure on top of that. So you're getting the double whammy of exercise plus light exposure, and it really can be beneficial in the long run. Fabulous. So our time is beginning to come to a close. We're going to move to our speed round. But before we do, I just want to ask you, you know, I know that you're a media expert on sleep, that you talk about this a lot. You obviously cover this with your patients. You have so many conversations on this topic. I would just love finally to hear from you. What do you think the biggest misconception is that people have about sleep? What do you want our listeners to leave with? The, the one thing that might help them get their Z's on in 2022? There are two things, actually, not just one. So the first one is what I was talking about earlier. So if you um, have some physician and you're in midlife and you have a physician who says to you, oh, just deal with it, you're fine, don't worry about it, it's part of getting older, find a better doctor. So that's the one big, like you don't have to accept poor sleep as you get older. Um, That's the first thing. The second thing is that sleep hygiene, right? Limiting the caffeine, exercise, worry control, all that stuff is really helpful, but it's not always enough. 
So if that's not enough, there are other really in-depth treatments like CBT for insomnia or um, seeing a sleep doctor just to make sure there's nothing else going on like sleep apnea or or um, thrashing at night that could impact your sleep. So try sleep hygiene as a first-line treatment, but if it's not enough, then definitely see a doctor because there are really great evidence-based treatments out there. Don't suffer in silence. Fantastic advice. Don't suffer in silence. That is that is what we should, all should be taking on. So uh, thank you for sharing that. We're going to head into our quick speed round. This is just a one or two word answer to complete the sentence. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Alarm clock or phone alarm? Old school alarm clock. Nice. TV in the bedroom. Yes or no? No. No. Eye mask. If you want. Okay. Best pillow type, because there are so many, you know, there's so many. Memory phone, down, buckwheat, down alternative. Does pillow matter? No, whatever works for you. Okay, best sleep position. Whatever works for you. (laughs) I like these answers. Weighted blanket. Um, Helpful for some, need more data on it. Okay, and then finally, room temperature. Upper 60s, though there's a bit of a range. Try not to go above 72 degrees Fahrenheit. Perfect. I love these nuggets of wisdom. Shelby, before we say goodbye, how can our listeners find more about your work, your services, and your sleep tips? So the first thing you can always, I have a book that's The Women's Guide to Overcoming Insomnia, Get a Good Night's Sleep Without um, Relying on Medication. So you can get that very easily online on Amazon. Um, And that's really helpful for people with insomnia. I also have an Instagram where I post almost daily um, just random tips about sleep, and that's um, Sleep Doc Shelby. And I also have a website, which is just dr, like Dr. Dr. DrShelbyHarris.com, DrShelbyHarris.com. And you can find me there. I have a practice in Westchester, so I see a lot of people in New York City and New York State as well on telehealth. Thank you, Dr. Harris. I will put all of that into the show notes. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women who are aging without apology. All January long, we are featuring guests who have ideas for rebooting our systems, from sleep to goal setting to faith to relationships. Join us every Monday to get your 22 on track. Special thanks to Michael Mancini, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time. And until then, age boldly, beauties. Beauties.